Okay. That's the touch key. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Hope oh, everything is well. We are here at the special location I mentioned, McKenna Porsche in Norwood, California. Great facility, wonderful people. Look, look at what's behind me. 19 being serviced, 91 over here. Really, really cool. Hello, everyone. My left knee hurts. I hope it feels much better. Good seeing you. Hello, Craig. Greetings, everyone. And for those of you on YouTube, thanks so much for joining this weekly show. We're on our 42nd episode. 42, almost to here. Hello, Sam. Long time no speak. Good seeing you. And I answer questions um, on Instagram live. And also some of the questions that people write in that may not be able to attend this but will watch it much later on. So thank you so much. Yay. Good seeing you. I know, right, Craig? You're pretty crazy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hello, guys. So good to see you for joining me this afternoon. And for those of you listening on the podcast version, thank you so much. You're probably jogging, working out, using the loo, whatever the case may be. But we're here. Hello from Germany, Matthias. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And we're here. And Ari's at the office, holding down the port. And Hedy's here with me. Anyone want to come and say hi to the guys? Anyway, Hedy's here. She's going to take care of all the questions that many of you wrote in. I make sure it's okay. And here's Hedy right here. There she is. Come on. There she is. Okay. So, that being said, we're going to have a good time. Oh, thank you so much um, for all the kind words. You know, just move the camera. But, um, hello. I keep hearing this. What is that, 996? Nine, nine, That's so interesting. Hello, Craig from South Africa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for the kind words, Nancy. I appreciate that. UK in the house. Grady Jones, thank you for joining the Beast Motor Tech Tuesday. Sorry, it's very busy here. There's noise, there's tow trucks in the back, beeping, and all kinds of things going on. This is a lively facility, so hopefully you guys can hear me properly. But I'm here to answer a lot of good questions. Good evening, Aden. I hope things are well across the pond. Watching from Florida, thank you so much. Hello, Cole. Wow, so much love here today. I really appreciate that, you know. I'm doing a ton of things, Carlos, so it really depends on our friend from Mazda. So in case many of you don't know, um, he's asking about my excursion with Mazda last week, and we made some great relationships, and we look forward to hopefully do some great things there, you know? Oh, nice, Cole. You're wise. What a great guy. Who's our friend from your eyes? Uh, Mike. Mike. Tell Mike we said hi. By all means. Great guy. Thank you so much. That's good, One Clean. Glad to be of assistance. Oh, yours in New York City thing. Well, we're going to be in New York soon, so I can't wait to experience that. Oh, from France. Thank you so much. Per Thank you, guys. Still cam, still in love with it, which is really great. Thank you so much, guys. So, we're here, McKenna. Look at this 6918 right here. It's absolutely beautiful. We'll do a live around that later on. We have a nice mid-engine Porsche right here. Tons of Porsche getting service. Regular maintenance is really good. So, thank you so much, McKenna Porsche, for the hospitality and allowing us to hang out in the place that we love so much. Las Vegas in the house. Good seeing you. You know what, Angry? I want to do that. I want to push for some road reapplications and some modern chassis. That would be so awesome. I just love the sound and weight of the rotary Wankel engine. And this one power plant I haven't played with intimately. I've done a lot of tuning, NA and boosted, but never got into the nitty gritty of that. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. Hello, Oscar. Um, greetings, Matt from Italy. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me for all around the world. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, it's a lot of labor. This service, if I tell you how much the service is on this price, you probably slap me. But it's good. It's good. These people know what they're doing and they're very particular. Okay. So, without further ado, let's start with the first question that was sent in. Hey, what's the first question that we have so far this afternoon? Sure. 
I have a question from Shed Van Wall. Okay. He says, if I'm trying to turbo an NA E30 with an M20, what should I do to prep it? The kit comes with an oil line, radiator, and compressor, and all the necessities. Okay, so he has an E30, and he wants to know what to do properly to boost it. And the kit kind of comes with a few items and so on and so forth. So first, you have to make sure the kit is proper, and also make sure that your components are very good. The bad thing about using cheap turbochargers, the turbocharger itself, not using one from a good brand or using something that's very bit of a knockoff, is when they go out, they take a lot of stuff with them. I've seen compressions break. I've seen housings collide with compressors and turbines. I've seen really weird things happen. So the first thing you want to do is make sure that you have components that are ideal. Secondly is an engine management solution, something that allows you to tune the car properly and reliably. Because what's the purpose? Oh, you guys are getting me into trouble adding good. Porsche running Vitara. He's being naughty. I don't want to get my rat with Vitara's, but the key thing about a successful build is having engine management solution that's ideal. And for the E30, you have many options, including AM Infinity, which allows you for great fail safes and allows you to tune properly. Because what's the purpose of building a cool build if you don't tune it well? You want to enjoy your build, you want to have a good time, and you want to make sure it's done right. And you know what? It may seem a little expensive at first, but in the long run, it's much cheaper. There's nothing worse than building an engine multiple times. And there's nothing worse than doing something right the first time and not getting that opportunity to take care of that and doing it multiple times over and over. Hello, composite bodies. Good seeing you, long time no speak. Hello, Samson Jen. I think you had a question. Let's see what you had here. Tokar, uh, oh, no worries. I'm actually here at McKenna. So I'm not in the facility today, you know. Yes, pays twice, sometimes twice. Absolutely right, composite. Build it once and build it right. At the end, you're absolutely correct. Dip and deep, you didn't miss much. We just started, so no problems, you know. Um, you're right. So, Cole, sometimes big turbos are not better. There's a car that... I, I, I just remember so vividly. Three years ago, I built a new Mustang, an EcoBoost Mustang, made 900 horsepower. I built the base inline four engine, put a large 76 millimeter turbo on it. It made the power, made 901 to the wheels. It was awesome. Great proof of concept, but it was a dog to drive. So I put a big turbo on it. It made the power, but the power band was like 1500 RPMs. It was worse than a Super. It was so laggy and came on. It was not fun. In that case, a smaller turbo would have been a lot more fun, even though it wouldn't have made the power. So nowadays, our friends from Turbonetics, our partners, they have a kit, 600 horsepower, in the EcoBoost, and boom, it's full quick and it's a lot of fun. A lot more fun than a laggy 900 horsepower. So, live and learn. Absolutely, I have nothing to hide. I'm here to share my experiences, and it sounded good on paper, but it didn't drive good at all. I didn't like that car. I actually took it apart and went back to stop. It was really horrible, you know? Okay, Hedy, so what other questions do we have? Sure, next uh, it's from CT. I don't think we can hear you. Oh, it's from CTRACERX. Okay. Uh, he said, Do you tune motors for Porsche 996.1 and beyond with the OEM ECM? If not, are there any plans to develop some software to do it to stay in the distant future? Also, if a standalone ECM were to have all of the readiness monitors, and could or would you allow for monitor checking through a standard OBD2 port? Could it essentially pass smog here in California? Oh, thank you so much. I think that's Alfie who sent that CT Racer X. Um, hello, Frank. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, Akmal. So what Alfie was asking is, I know there's some long questions, and Mike, there are even longer ones to come, but he's asking about tuning 996 setup, like the Carrera, 
the first water-cooled polymerase. And first, have, do I have any solutions for those power plants? In addition to that, if we could tune it properly, boost, supercharge, anything of that nature, and keep the readiness cold in California, it could have emissions, which means that you pull into an OBD port and you see everything active and you can pass. The thing is that it doesn't make sense to me reinventing the wheel. And what I mean by that, there are many flashing solutions that already exist for the 9961, with the exception of 1999. So 1999 was a single year where it didn't have drive-by wire. It had a cable throttle body. It didn't have what the Porsche people refer to as e-gas. And that being said, it's a bit of a bastard child here for the 996. So there's not many, there's no two reasons for that should have put it as standalone. For the 9961 that have e-gas or electronic throttle from 2000 and up, there are many classic solutions that allow tuners like ourselves to put in a turbo kit, supercharger, cams, headers, you name it, and flash it in the factory ECU. But the challenge I have with flashing the factory ECUs are fail-safes or lack thereof. It doesn't give me the capability of doing a boost cut on boosted applications. It doesn't give me the capability of doing cool fail-safes with oil pressure or fuel pressure. It just doesn't do the things I can do with AM Infinities, which is really sad. Hello, AJ. Good seeing you. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Guzman and Harold. Thank you so much for joining us. So that limits more I can do. I'm big on liability. But Alfie's right. In California nowadays, on OBD2 setups, <coughs> the only thing that happens is that they plug into OBD ports, when readiness codes are there, everything is good. So it could be something to look into, but sheer demand doesn't allow that to happen, which is really sad, you know? EJ6 asking, what could be done to prevent bearing oil salvation on Y7s when doing time attack? Oil pen baffles? So EJ, the challenge with Y7s and Y engines of the Honda variety is that the oiling system is not as great as the Z6s and A6s. And what I mean by that is the older legacy D-series engines fed oil from the center of the block, went up to the center of the crank, and spread to the ends of each part of the engine. The Y7 start from one end and oils all the way. And what happens in high performance applications, even if you have some type of IQ sub setup, even if you have some great oiling systems, you do great things to treat your pipe and bearings, the bearings at the end are the last to get oil, and anytime you have any challenges, it spins it. A lot of my customers would tend to go with a Z6 engine bottom end with a Y8 head to rectify that. And dry sump would solve it completely. But a dry sump system is not very cost effective for that application. So it is a bit of a challenge. Baffles don't help, it can help a little bit, but it won't solve the problem. It's just the way that the architecture of the bottom end of the engine is. It doesn't lend itself very well. The best thing that you can do is run a proper zinc, high zinc oil that can protect even in challenging opportunities. And of course I use Purell, those are my, my partners. I love using those guys, the guys, their stuff is great. But backdating to a Z6 may be your best thing, you know? Yes, an A6 bottom end, a Z6 head, that's really legit, it's absolutely correct. I like the A6's, the, 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 metal, the metal crank caps there, they're very, very nice as well. Yeah, I missed another good question here. I think I missed one. Um, Carlos Astley, he's a 99 Civic, when it's cold, it has a knocking sound in the head. When it gets to operating temperature, it goes away. Any ideas? Bravo, just make, wow, that, your rock art assembly <coughs> has a challenge. So when I've seen that noise, it really comes from the lost motion assemblies. Um, so you definitely want to look into that. And if you're using an oil that has very poor shear stability, that can help too. I would say go through, change out all your lost motion assemblies, and then upgrade the Purell, and you'll be good, which is very nice. Um, Oh, good. Thank you so much, Cole. Can I said hi as well? Appreciate the kind words, by all means. 
I'm EJ8, what oil do I recommend for 2018 Civic SI? Botan Mods, Pirol. Definitely the Pirol 020 or 530 if you're tracking hard, by all means. You can't go wrong with that. I love those guys' stuff, you know? Okay, so Hedy's giving me the look that Ari usually gives me, so I have plenty of questions here. So let's see what, what, what else is written in, Hedy? So Fox Design, etc. Fox Design, okay. You said your thoughts on adding rear disc brake upgrades or EF on, of EF. I see where some do compatible OEM swaps versus aftermarket, but still not clear on doing different propulsion valves, okay. master cylinder, right. and more recently, Brake booster delete. Okay. Are all of these components necessary to change, or is each component's function functionality theoretically just pros and cons towards overall functionality? Okay. So. Thanks for any specific insight. Okay. So that's he has so many questions in one, mm -hmm. and we can actually do a whole session on what he just asked. He's asking about braking systems, and how challenging it is. He knows that, especially in the Honda world, that people do everything from brake booster deletes to changing uh, the drum brakes in the rear, especially early legacy engine or chassis, to discs. Proportional valves are changing, massive sensors are changing, all that good stuff. And the rule of thumb is you want to be able to brake properly. So braking is very key. You can't go super fast without addressing the braking systems. And I learned the hard way that that's not a, the best you know, to do. You know. So that being said, a rear disc upgrade, upgrade is very nice. Not only does it save some decent weight if you've done it right, it also improves your kit, fucking capability very nice without having some weird thing that you may see with older drum brakes. Above and beyond that, when you do change the size of your calipers in the front and upgrade to the rear, many times the factory-based mass cinders don't have enough volume to fill those cavities in those brakes. So you definitely want to be able to appropriately size the master cylinder to the calipers. And that can go up in size, which can also change the feel of it and the efficiency of the system. It's better to actually seek advice from the people involved in manufacturing the components what's ideal. Then, above and beyond that, eliminating brake boosters look really cool. It gives a nice clean look for those who like to tuck their engine bay for shows and so on and so forth. But it does increase your pedal effort to stop. In full race applications, we have clients who want mechanical brakes, so you see a lot of that with some of our race cars, because they won't have the feedback while on the track, but it does require a lot more effort to stop a car, especially if you're a street fairy, if you're driving a car on the street. So you want something that can actually assist you, hence boost your capability of being able to stop the car. So I'm not a huge advocate of taking out boosters for street applications. If you want to tuck it, there are hydraulic systems that exist out there aftermarket that don't require vacuum, which is good. So cleans up the engine bay, and also if you have big camshafts, it doesn't reduce your capability of stopping, which is really nice. So we have that out there. But definitely for sizing, seek out advice from the manufacturer of the kits. And for portion valves, of course, based upon your driving style on the track, you may want to give more proportion towards the front or rear. It's just more of a user's choice. How's that, you know? Thanks so much, Fox is here. Thank you so much, my pleasure. Um, answer Aaron Bartel. I didn't see his question. I need to ask again. There's so much going on. I have questions here and questions here. So ask again and I'll be more than happy to do that for you. Okay? Okay. What else do we have, Eddie? Sure. Um, Arnie SoCal. Arnie SoCal. Do you think the tuning and aftermarket industry <coughs> will be affected so much by the strict EPA car only parts? I have seen some websites say that they will not sell parts to California yes. residents. 
thoughts, and thank you for all you do. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, I see the white lighting guard tags. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. I'm glad you're, that you're having a lot of fun, fun time with that, you know? And bike life, no, I've never dealt with 944 turbos. Not yet. But it depends. That may happen. You never know. Um, Machiavelli's asking, how can I make my 996 twin turbo make 900 wheel horsepower? Easy. Honestly, easy. When you go above 700 horsepower on the 96 turbos, the rods tend to bend. So you definitely want to be able to have an opportunity to upgrade your rods, pistons. The drivetrain will handle it. The gearbox will handle it, no problem. An engine management solution, large injectors, and I would definitely go with flex fuel. You want to be able to have that additional safety of E85 with a 900 horsepower setup. And that thing will be fast and so amazing. Then definitely upgrade your intercoolers. So if you need some help with that, let us know. I can't do anything now to the end of the year, but I can point you in the right direction, which is pretty interesting. So um, the question that you had about, um, was about small guests? Yes. Okay. <coughs> the one thing that is a challenge in California is that companies, because of the California Air Resource Board, are getting their hands slapped in selling parts in California because they tend to affect emissions. And there are companies that just, for those of us in California, you can order things online and it won't be sent to you. There are companies that refuse because of the fines imposed by the government to sell stuff in California. And yes, it is affecting our ability to modify here. So what I've done for myself is, you notice that I'm doing more track cars than anything else, just because California is so strict. So for those hardcore racers, it's still alive and well in California. But in doing anything that modifies emissions equipment in California, it's on a decline. People are just not doing because you can't get the parts, and above and beyond that, you can easily get in trouble. So it is affecting us, but it's not affecting the track business. If anything, I think it's sending more people to the drag strip, to the road raceways, to drifting, so on and so forth. You know? Beautiful. Thank you so much, Machi. Good to, good to see you. Thank you, indeed. You know? Um, I'm not at work today, but when I get to the work today, I'll be driving a BMW 325i. That's all we're going Thank you so much, you know? I don't blame you, Madman. I may have to join you. California is very strict. We have a lot of great weather here. People are nice. We have studios. We have beautiful people. We have an hour from everything. It's an hour from the beach, an hour from the desert, an hour from the snow. It's just so conducive. And the climate is so pleasant. But my goodness, for motorsports, for driving on the street and having fun, it's not the place to be, you know? Um, Mark Yeager is asking, what's the importance of break-in after an engine rebuild, extremely important. So, one thing about breaking in engines is that it is absolutely impossible, and I've tried, to put an engine together and have it immaculately clean. You still have residuals in the honing process of the cylinders. You even have lint, lint from your rads in the engine upon first startup. It's just so hard to clean all the passages impeccably. So, above and beyond allowing for ideal sealing, of the rings against the cylinder walls, above and beyond having bearings sit properly and being protected for initial startup, above and beyond that, cleaning the engine is very important. So, breaking oils, proper breaking oils, of course I use pure oil breaking, I say 30 or 40, depending on my bearing clearances, are extremely important to help breaking the engine properly. Breaking oils allow for a very nice interaction, appropriate interaction between the rings and the cylinders, not too smooth to where you can glaze it, but not too rough to whereby you can't have good adhesion. So just good interaction to have perfect seal, protects the bearings as well, and does a great job in cleansing. That's why I'm not a huge advocate of having breaking oil over 2,000 miles on a street burning vehicle, or doing more than a full dueling session, partial and full throttle session on the dyno. So it's the way to go, it's pretty nice, you know? 
Um, how can you tell when your spark plugs are going out or need to be changed recently due to tune and cars are real idle to warm? Well, how I tell Dion is misfire. When that gap is really hard, uh, very far, especially on copper plugs that have erosion, when you have copper plugs that have some eroded some electrodes, misfires. Um, on iridiums, it takes a long time for that to happen. It actually never happens. When you just get a lot of rubbish coatings on it um, from additives in your fuel, especially if you add a, what do they call that rubbish, octane boosters with a lot of magnesium, it tends to coat the center electrode and create misfire as well. So that's how I can tell it's misfire. And with that, I just upgrade my plugs and we're good to go. Hello, Beverly Lats. Good seeing you. Um, yes, AJ's right. Supercharged is still boosted. Absolutely. Okay, what else do we have, Eddie? Sure. Um, old Man Logan 79. Old Man Logan! Always good to hear from him. Any thoughts on Porsche turbocharging the next GT3? Oh! <laughs> so, it's sad I'm in a Porsche facility and he asked me this question about the new GT3 going turbocharging. It's the wave of the future. It's happening. I don't blame them. I mean, a lot of purists love the rawness of a naturally aspirated GT3, but it is moving in the right direction. It still has the spirit of the GT3 being the perfect car for street and strip. Perfect car. We talk about street to track. The GT3, GT3 RS is the epitome. Turbocharging will allow for a broader torque curve, which means a faster car and a lot more fun. And also, if they dare reduce the, 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 the displacement of the engine while turbocharging, it can do a lot in terms of efficiency and still give you more than power that currently exists, more power than currently exists with the current GT3 models, which is pretty, pretty nice, you know? So that being said, I think it's a good walk in the right direction. I think some people balk at it. If anything, it would do a great job in allowing the NA GT3s to go up in value. Was pretty interesting, but I think it's good. I think it's great, you know. So our world system is asking, am I still supporting or working with the Genesis Coupe platform? No, because um, that BK platform, which is the code, chassis code with Hyundai, is obsolete now. And since we have a relationship with Hyundai, it's not something that they want us to continue to play with. So that being said, no, I'm not supporting it anymore. Uh, and that's the reason why. Just because our manufacturer partners are not putting any more stake in that, which is pretty nice, you know. My 2JZ Madman says, is IS300 requires premium fuel? What will happen if I use regular? I'll lose power. Madman, best case scenario, you lose power. And you lose power only because if the ECU is aftermarket and was too properly for knock, or if you're running a factory ECU, it will determine pinging, which is pre-ignition because of the low octane fuel. And what the ECU would do, or if it's tuned properly with a proper knock protocol, it would retard ignition timing and add fuel to keep the engine safe, which is paramount. Blessings to you as well, VR6. So that being said, that will result in lower horsepower output, less ignition timing, which is not optimized, and adding more fuel to the system, making it run richer to keep the engine safe. Yes, you will experience less horsepower gain. Oh, Mr. Wall, you asked about the E30 and program. Yes, you did miss it, but I'll have this up on Instagram for 24 hours, you can definitely see it. And then above and beyond that, I have it on iTunes, Anchor, Radio Public, via podcasting, and I'll have it uploaded on YouTube extremely soon in the next couple of days, so you should be able to see that too, you know? Crazy Mia is asking me a crazy question. What do I love more, my Porsches or the Odyssey? I love all of them. I'm, I'm, every car of mine is unique. So one thing I like about the Odyssey is it's, it's, it's just absolutely blasphemous, it's this crazy unexpected vehicle that has tons of power, no traction whatsoever. It's just a fun vehicle to say, hey, 
Look at how crazy we can go here, PC Moto. But the Porsche, my blue Porsche, the Cayman, the center seat boxman, these are driver cars. They are so much fun. So I enjoy both extremes because they are very different, you know? No, Madman, I don't like Octane Boosters because what they do is they add a magnesium-based compound to assist in anti-knock, but it coats plugs very quickly. So it's not ideal. I'm a huge advocate of using higher octane fuels that were designed properly, or better yet, with the technology we have today, Lex Fuel, which is really good, by all means, you know? For E85996, yes, you can. For more power, you get 5 to 8% improvement in power, but it has to be tuned properly. Just don't add it. Make sure your tune is set up for it properly, which is very nice, you know? Um, what about the newer models like the twin turbo in the G70 or G80? Will you be doing anything with the new Hyundai rollout and the N-Line? So yes, answer is yes. Unbeknownst to a lot of people, we do a lot of things with the Hyundai engineers behind the scenes. So yes, we'll be working with them on the end projects. We'll continue to work with them. Will we have crazy projects in their booth moving forward? Who knows? But we'll continue to work with engineering department to develop stuff. You have no idea how much technology from BC Motor originated and now exists in the current day vehicles that are being driven daily. I'm very proud to be part of that whole twin turbo process and very proud to be working with the engineers on Hyundai as well. Great people indeed, you know? Is a wider tire always good? Yes, if you need adhesion. No, if you don't. I work with a lot of enthusiasts where we do pretty wide body Porsches and we put pretty big tires on them. And those cars end up being stored in stock. But if you put the power down to it, if you add a boosted setup, a high compression ITB engine, and you acquire that adhesion, because of the increased power, it becomes much faster. It's very great. See, he's asking, when am I going to build a crazy class for BW? As soon as we have a relationship with BW. <laughs> so it makes things much easier to work with manufacturer, but by all means, don't discount it, it may happen. How are we doing so far, Heidi? Good, we still have a few questions left. Few more questions, okay, let's go. Uh, dip in Deep One. Dip in Deep One, okay. Why do my 90s Hondas idle up a few hundred RPM when slightly turning the steering wheel to the right or left? Oh, that's easy. So it's asking why is it that his idle goes up when he turns the steering wheel slightly um, left to right? Well, it's a very clever protocol. It happens with ACs too, where there's a compensation. There's AC compensation and also compensation for power steering. And why is that important? If you design a protocol, and many tuners would know this if you played on with that, if you design a protocol where there's no ability to increase idle slightly, when a steering wheel is turned, hence the engine is demanded energy. It takes energy to turn the pump to turn the steering wheel. It takes energy from the alternating system, if it's electric, to be able to turn it as well. If you demand that energy from an idle situation without raising the idle slightly, the car will stall. So it's a very clever way of preventing your idle from stalling and have your car stall and stop moving and you have to stop cranking. So it's very clever and what is needed. Same thing happens with AC. And AC is a little more involved because there's a slight AC delay to come on and to turn off as well. It's pretty cool, you know? Uh, Spiritual Mountain Drives or Track Days, AJ says. Track Days, by all means. Because mountain driving is great, but many times we have to exceed close limits. So it's dangerous, and we've heard of people really getting hurt with that. So I'm a huge advocate of safety, so Track Day is the way to go. Plus, you can learn a lot and do a lot in a controlled environment. And God forbid something happens, you have emergency services there to help you out. It's pretty exciting. Okay. How are we doing, Eddie? Sure. The next one is AJ Thompson. AJ! He always has great questions. Hello, Jeremy Williams. Are there any aerodynamic advantage of a 911 with or without round headlights? Yes. <laughs> and which do you prefer, it, the 996 or L? 996 or L? It, 
yeah, that goes. Which 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 do you prefer for prefer be it the 996 or else? Huh. So, one thing you may notice with the classic 911 is they have these what I refer to as frog eyes, these big round headlights, round headlights that stick up. And those look really cool and very classic Porsche, but weren't very aerodynamic. So that being said, the fact that they went to more than 993 lights, that helped obviously with aerodynamics and makes a much more stable and faster car, even with the same power output. When it comes to the headlights, I do like the 996s. I don't like the initial 996s that look like the boxers, but that little one with the like, nice cut, we may say 2004s and up, I love those lights. I love them so much. I'm building two Porsches this year with nods to those lights, which is pretty nice. Um, AJ, I like square ports, or rectangular ports, I should say, because they just flow a lot more. So I hope that helps. Yes, very good questions, AJ. I appreciate it. Yes, yeah. we have one more question. One more question from AJ Thompson. Um, what do you deem is the highest possible reliable static and dynamic compression okay. ratio for an NA engine when running on straight 91? Okay. And would it vary between different engines? Yes, so the lot of parties asking what would I consider is the highest static and dynamic compression ratios. Dimension varies, and it depends on engine warming up, combustion chamber design, camshafts. So many things come to play, and in an engine, dynamic changes when cams are advanced and retarded via IV tech, and when the tech comes on, or viral cam in the case of Porsches, and so on and so forth. So all that change dynamics. So let's talk about something that's a little bit more easy to grasp, static. As far as I'm concerned, I've done everything from 8 to 1 static compression to an NA application on 91, 18.4 to 1. 18.4 to 1 was a challenge, not because that small displacement engine was difficult to get that compression by using displacement. No, displacement will actually help me. But staying with the 1500 cc's or close to that, I had to massage each combustion chamber and massage each piston to fit because in a world where things are mass produced, especially heads, there's very little consistency from combustion chamber to combustion chamber. So getting that static compression was very hard. But camshafts, once again, camshafts had a huge role on that. You can run high stack compressions on 91 octane with large camshafts to whereby you don't have that challenge. 17 Gen, you are a bad influence. Shame on you. Uh, <laughs> my pleasure, man, man. You're too kind. So you can do that. It depends on the engine and composite chamber. Hemispherical and uh, composite chambers don't lend themselves very well. More flatter, uh, I would say pentagon shaped. Um, those that have a smaller combustion chamber, larger quench. There's so many designs that go into it. What you may see in motorcycles, that shape of the composite chamber of a late engine motorcycle, or some of the newer stuff you see with Toyota and Honda, really lend themselves well to that. Plus, if you explore direct injection, that just puts in a whole ballpark. You know with direct injection, we can run as high as 13 to 1 compression on 91, and run air fuel mixtures as lean as 15 to 1 in boosted applications. It's amazing what we can do. And yes, Benjamin, you're right. Tumble makes a huge difference. Um, one thing about intake airflow, Benjamin, is what you see on golf balls to allow to flow in the air very nicely, travel very nicely. Same thing happens in the port when building high performance engines and want to allow the air to tumble. You don't want to create an opportunity where there's a lot of laminar flow in the intake. It just doesn't do very well to allow fuel to stay in suspension and to travel into combustion chamber very nicely. So what I have seen is that when you dimple when you allow for turbulence inside the intake manifold into the port, it helps keep fuel in suspension, which when it's consumed in the combustion chamber and ignited, creates more heat and makes more power. If you don't do that, or you have a very smooth surface on the combustion chamber, no, it's combustion chamber, smooth surface on the intake port, 
fuel tends to stick to it. It gives you very strange things when it comes to fuel metering. And when fuel sticks to it very nicely, it gets very difficult to put it back in suspension to allow it to combust, which means less power. So there's so much going on, you know? Um, yes, Batman, I do use the Panams not only in boost applications, but some any applications as well, by all means. But it's very, as you can imagine, very cost prohibitive to change intake manifolds so rapidly as you can ITBs. So that's why that happens, you know? Moda, if you need to tune, I can take care of you, but it won't be until after SEMA, because I'm really slammed until the latter part of November. So if you're okay with that, by all means, write to us at sales at bcmoda.com. But if not, I'm sorry, I'm just so crazy. Even me coming here as a vacation with all the things we have going on with the projects. We have so many cars going on and one very big project for our friends at Mattel, which is extremely important. So please forgive me, by all means, you know? Um, so King Loco says, I have a question. I have a Type RS. I'm currently running a Sidewinder with 41 millimeter TI MVR with 6266 uh, journal bearing. He keeps spiking to 18 PSI, and when he spikes, it falls on his face. So, are you concerned about the spiking or the falling? Because those are two different things. The falling one, if your car falls as a bull, that could be one of two things. It could be the boost controller, electronic, doing his job, trying to bring you back to ideal, so it's causing that. A lot will tell me more. Spiking is something else that is not only fun, but it can be very dangerous. And why is spiking dangerous? Spiking can put you in a situation where your engine experiences an acceleration that's not very apt to great tuning. You may have fuel that's not ideal to handle that spike. You may have engine components that are not ideal to handle the power made of that spike. And it's just not a good thing to do. You want to have very controlled boost opportunities in your engine. So, what is the number one issue that causes spiking? Number one, by and by, especially in sidewinders, is the location of the wastegate. The wastegate, as the name implies, wastes it wastes exhaust gases from the exhaust manifold, allowing you to limit the amount of gases going to the turbine, which then in turn turns over the compressor wheel, which then limits how much power you can create. If you put down a wastegate aperture or opening on the collector and not post the collector of all four cylinders in your case, you will see a spike. If you have a wastegate that is against the flow of air to allow it to waste properly, you will see a spike. Also, if you have a wastegate that's too small, you may also see a spike. So there's so many things, but the number one I've seen is the inappropriate position on the collector, which the only way to get around that is to redesign it or to put two of those wastegates on the collector so it can waste much easier. But that adds more complication, you know? Um, Speaking of AC on projector, I'm turning the AC on Dion says, on the idle gets rough almost like it wants to stop. What could that be? Many things. If your engine is bone stock, it's very, very, very common place for your bearings to start going out in your AC compressor. If your engine is modified, you have an engine management solution, you have to play around with the parameters to allow you for an AC, I would say, what's the proper term that can use and many ECUs use? Maybe an AC offset for idle and that can allow you to be able to have that problem, you know, taken care of, it's really nice, you know? Um, I see that someone had a question saying he's asked so many times, I've never seen it, it's very hard. If you can ask me one more time, hopefully I can get to it. Instead of you being upset, I'm here to help, <laughs> but it's very difficult for me to do so much at the same time, I'm here to help, I'm here to help you. But you have to understand that 
my life's going on, and I'm here to sit. Sandy's laughing, but I'm here. You know, don't be upset. Just ask me again, and I'll catch it, and I'll be more than happy. Or better yet, write it in, and the team will make sure that I get to it. Okay? Okay. 996NA Turbo Kick. Not yet. I promised the Cayman guys first. Then I have 997, and hopefully the 996 you have is, is newer than 1999. Because if it's 99, I can provide the kit or bolt on, but I don't have an engine management solution for you, which could be a challenge. Thank you so much, Bruce. I appreciate that. You know, um, are there a lot of AM tuners still I'm thinking about going AM3D. Well, there are quite a few, and I'm one of them. And guess what? AM is in SoCal too. If you're in a pinch, easily call AM Tech, and they can point you in the right direction if I'm not available. It's pretty nice, you know. Uh, all this Christmas money and nothing to buy. I know, I know. Just hang on to it. Put in the bank. Put in like a CD, get some interest on it, and hopefully you have it ready and you'll be good to go. Hello, Mark 5, Andrew, good seeing you. Would you use sequential turbos on gasoline? Ooh, so sequential turbos are one feed into another. Well, sequential is good. Compound, I wouldn't. Sequential, yes. Sequential by all means, yeah. Many manufacturers do it already, you know? Um, let's see. Okay. Okay. What else do we have, Eddie? Question wise. Um, sacred, a uh, sacred mark. Sacred mark. Okay. Releasing at the Cayman Twin Turbo Kit at the special location. No. So I said today that I'm coming to a special location. No, I'm not releasing yet. Once I get all this madness of these builds out of the way, I'm gonna focus on the kit and get something out to you guys. You know. Different teams ask, is hitting my wife, and does she race or has she? Yes, she's my wife, and she's crazy about cars. Probably crazier than me. And yes, she races. She has a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. She's giving me the evil eye now because I have to get some more cars ready, but I haven't. I've been naughty. I've been taking care of you guys and not her. <laughs> so she's giving me the evil eye. But yes, she tracks, she loves roadways. She's not a big drag race girl. She loves roadways, which is pretty cool, you know? Yeah, there are not many Volvo tuners at all. It's not a brand that most people think about when they think high performance, which is sad because Volvo has some really cool stuff, you know? It's pretty nice, you know? Okay. What else do we have, Eddie? Uh, my left knee hurts. My left knee hurts. He has a really cool screen. Do you sell internal engine upgrades for the Odyssey J35? Also, who made the roll cage for the Odyssey and was it a bolt-on? Yes, so the roll cage, um, I'll answer it backwards, the roll cage was a pseudo bolt-on. So it does bolt into the chassis. Uh, it's not something we plan to make commercially available, only because I wanted it to be powder-coated, which is pretty cool. But internal engine components, yes. Rods, pistons, of course they're bespoke, valve train, camshafts, sleeving services, crankshaft, treatments, yes, we do have access to that, you know? Duran says road racing is greater than drag. Ha! Eddie's laughing at you, Duran, you're being naughty Let's again. Take a formula. I, fall, I really hone my teeth in drag racing. I love road racing because it's just a lot more fun. Drag racing is, I feel like we spend so much more money to spend less and less time on the track. Well, road racing, you can go over and over and over again. But you but, know what, though? Like, yeah. drag racing is harder on components. You so, so you have to make sure that you spend a lot, enough money so that it can last within the quarter mile. Yeah, that's a good point. So I mean, realistically, that yeah. It's, it's I mean, reali pause. yeah, I realistically, like, you can take a stock car and road race yeah. and have a good time. You can drive with a stock car and I know, be but fast. it's slow. Yeah. I mean, your ego is involved, like, all that stuff. Like, you have to prep your car properly for a good drag race. Understood. So technically, yeah, I think that... You should be able to... So I have a question from Mel, your service manager. He said, would I consider some Volvo work? <laughs> if one of my best buddies just bought a Volvo this. dealership? Come I actually it. would. You know what would help a ton? Is if we had no. a partnership with Volvo and do something. You know what's crazy? You know, I grew up in the 90s. And I had this really soft spot for touring cars. And 
I loved the Volvo 850 touring wagon. That thing was sick. And nothing would give me more joy than to partner with Volvo, do a throwback to that car while building something new. That'd be just the cats in the eye. I would just love to do that. It was pretty exciting, you know? <laughs> Foxy says, yeah, Road Race, FTW. This is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, Awol says, what was the most important engine modification made to the Lambda 3.8? Many circuit application as I'm building a BK2 for stage rally. So I would say the connecting rods. So even though they look pretty beefy, um, those rods can fail when you push them too much. So that would be the number one thing is connecting rods. I, 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 and, and the rod bolts. So those two things would be the number one thing that I've addressed. But the engine flows well, has tons of potential for power. The Lambda 3.8 is such, it's one of the best engines I've ever built. Comes factory with six bolt mains. Six bolts, four on the bottom, two on the side for each cap. It is awesome, you know. Uh, let's see. Uh, just run 91 on that man. Okay, okay. AJ is talking to you. What did Holy cow. Yeah, I did. Grew up in 80s and 90s. I just love everything drove racing. It's pretty good. You know they say black don't cry. <laughs> anyway. Okay. How are we doing questions, Eddie? Um, I have a YouTube question. YouTube you. question, it's which really, I don't get really those. Long. Yeah. A long one. It's like super long. Okay, so let me see it, though. Let me see it. Yeah, if you want so, to. So, here's another question that came in, guys. So, there's a long one. From YouTube, and he says, "Sorry to bug you again, but I was really hoping you'd see these comments." And it's from Dylan Martin, and he says, uh, "What's the benefit of using F-series CM10 motors?" And the thoughts on the G-series CM10 motors on which transmissions would be best for the different builds. So let's talk about that question first. I mentioned this on previous Tech Tuesdays. I'm not a huge advocate of switching heads and blocks. Primarily because if I'm going to build an H22, I build an H22. I'm, I don't see an advantage of putting H22 on an F23 block to gain a little bit of displacement or to save a buck when I have to JB weld the head or do something with gaskets. It's just not worth the headache. So that being said, I'm a huge advocate of using the engine in question and building. What I do love is the second part of this question. I love using gearboxes that can allow itself better support and make a much better, faster, enjoyable application. So, I'm a huge advocate of getting rid of that quirky cable style payload engine, uh, gearbox and adapting a B-series or D-series to it. That's what I do. I did on my own drag program. We developed the first drag racing adapter plate kit system that existed. Tons of people knocked it off. No one's been able to like replicate it very nicely as we have, but people try, what can I say? But nonetheless, I'm a big advocate of that. So I would say a B-series because there's tons of optimal support. You go crazy with sequential if you wanted to. I say D because, especially the first generation um, Integra D series, I love the D series A1 gearboxes. They are robust. So that's something I definitely love to explore and, and use that. So this question goes on. Okay, I love to know about our carburetor motors I've built, and if there's a more cost-effective tuning-wise along which I can shaft for the motor. At what point do you need to flash a motor? Well, he's asking. His questions could be a whole tech user. So. <clears throat> One thing I noticed with dual side drive carburetors is that you can make the power and look really old school without dropping the money you may see with a full individual throttle system and engine management solution. The only challenge is if you road race, when you hit corners, you may have a situation where you can run lean because fuel can slosh in the flow bowl, which is a challenge. And also, the big mistake people do is they tighten the carburetor to the manifold, which in inline force can translate to vibration in the float. 
and create frothing of the fuel in the flow bowl and create a lean mixture as well. So you want to leave that a little loose and have a little dampening between the manifold and the carburetor. I tend to use a lot of rubber to do my dampening. So I've done a lot with that. When do we flash? When you have a new car, like the new SIs, the new Type Rs, the new GTIs, I'm a big advocate of flashing because it allows you to get a little bit more power and still remain, in many cases, street legal, especially here in California, and car legal, which is very nice. More power, legality, was there not to lie. So it makes things very easy. Whenever I track, full track duty, I'm a huge advocate of standalones because you can put a lot of filters in place and allows me a lot more tunability. Okay. He has so much to ask. He's not going to find a proper amount of funds to cover curiosity. I'm sure only gets worse and more So, um, <laughs> yeah, we have a train going by. <laughs> she's, she's <laughs> so the one thing I talk about when it comes to opportunities for projects is to save up and do it right. Even if you don't have the money, have the discipline, save up. Do it right the first time. It's enjoyable in the long run. It doesn't matter if you have a year, two, four, five-year build. Do it right. Get the best parts. Don't rush it and put together some rubbish. Make sure you do it properly. It's very nice. And Salem, I've thought about doing a project with a Volvo, but I'd love to get the manufacturer involved as I mentioned earlier, you know? Could I take an, your IS300 tune it to have more power? I could, but I don't have any support for that platform yet. Um, I haven't explored IS300, so I may not be the best bet for you. Um, but once again, if I worked with Lexus, I could use some of their support to create parts for current and previous models, but I don't have a relationship with them yet. If you know someone with Lexus, throw them our way. I'll be more than happy to assist you then. AJ is asking AP1 or AP2 S2K. AP2. Hedy, guys, so next week we're going to do a Hedy Tech Tuesday. Anyway, AP2 gives a lot more torque. That's better gearing. AP2 allows for more torque, but I love the buzzing that AP1 allows me to. And AP2 has some pretty nice camshafts. As a matter of fact, many people put AP2 camshafts in AP1 applications, which is pretty interesting, you know? So I like both, but I'm an AP1 guy because I, I love buzzing. I just love the 9000 RPM red line. That's really a lot of fun. It's pretty nice. Everyone's laughing at you over here, Hedy. <laughs> she walked away because I pushed her away. Anyway, yes. Hello, Paul. One and mother. Keki, minute. Good seeing you. Greetings as well, sir. Thank you for joining us all the way from the UK. It's really nice. Mitsubishi Evolution or 911? 911. 911 Turbo, even better yet. No question. I am familiar with rotary engines, Joe Tran is asking, but I never had the opportunity to build one myself. And we've done a great job in developing a relationship with Mazda recently, so who knows? If I had a magic wand, I would with Mazda to create something crazy for a new platform by using some old school rotary technology and also building something mild so that many people can see the potential, which is pretty nice, you know? Ah, yeah, Ari's at the office, Fox. She's out there holding down the fort. She's not here with me in Norwalk, so we're really sad, but we'll get to see her in a few hours, which is really nice, you know? Um, hey, Beast, another question Dion has. I recently removed my bumper to install an aftermarket from my intercooler. I put everything back together, and now my latch won't open my hood. Any way to get the hood open, to open? So, it depends on what chassis you have. It depends. If you tell me, Dion, what car you have, there are ways to get that happening. Um, it's almost like I'm telling people how to pop hoods. That's not very good, is it? But yeah, there are ways. Um, thoughts on the R18 from 8th Gen Civics for Boost? EJ, it's actually decent. The great thing about R18s, they're reliable and very plentiful and cheap. 
but they're not popular, so most people don't do it. And I built an R18 um, in the um, uh, HRV that we did not too long ago. So it lends itself very well, especially if it's one of those single port R18s, those really lend themselves very nicely to do. So don't, don't be shy, do it yourself, by all means, you know? Good horsepower range for a track use D16. NA, I would say something reliable, 140, 150. Um, to the wheels, boost it 300. That's fine. That's what we call it. You know, um, D16 struggle with boost or piston strong. By all means, do bear. I don't play around with that. You know, um, 996 asking where did I buy my bow tie? Um, everything from Nordstrom to Macy's. I buy it anywhere I see some. I mean, but you can buy it on Amazon. When I look for a design that I like, I just go ahead and buy it. It's pretty nice. You know, I am doing well. Mechanic steak. Would I do an Alpha Romeo GT? I would. In a heartbeat. I love the guys from FCA. We just spent um, a weekend with one of the designers from there, Ralph Gills. Great guy. He's a global head of design for FCA. And he is just absolutely fantastic. And he's trying to give me an alpha tick. I love alphas. I love their racing history. The cars are gorgeous. And I would love to do that. But it will have to be a partnership with them, by all means. You know? What are good cheap parts for a 2005 GT Mustang? No good cheap parts. I would say maybe something that's cost-effective would be an intake system that our friends from Canon have. So intake would be a cost effective. Anything that's cheap is typically not good. You know? um, by all means, uh, oh, AJ, Senna, come on now. Come on, that was so good, you know? Which cable to hydro kit do I recommend for EF? I would say our friends from Arizona, um, what is this company's name? We did it on our Wago band, and now I'm drawing a blank because I haven't had lunch yet. I'm quite hungry, actually. Um, it'll come to me. I'll send you a text. Oh, my goodness. Who's killing me that I don't remember this company's name? He worked very closely with our friends from Hasport, and he lives, he's in Arizona. I'm trying to remember his company's name. But um, there is a kid out there that I've used with great success. When it comes to me, I'll put it up. Please forgive me. Um, have I heard of BR Racing in Los Angeles, Dallas, California? BR. There's, yes, I have. Is that the Porsche place? I think I've heard of them. They come to the track quite a bit, actually. BRR, yes. Um, for the Pistons, D16 Stroker. Okay, Zubair, Trom. Trom Pistons. They're located in Southern California. They have Hush Performance. That's it. Thank you. Dippin, you're the man. Hush Performance. Thank you so much. By all means. So, Trom is the Piston Company. Hush Performance is the, uh, is the company. Oh, thank you, AJ. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Want to get the most power, the most power 325i? Miata, I'm a dangerous man. You can do a lot, but getting the most reliable power is not cost effective. You have to invest properly. You can make 1200 horsepower in your car. You can make 1500, but you have to get the right components. And it's a little bit of expense there, but you can do it by all means. You know? The cool 911 going by right now is pretty nice. This place is so awesome. Hello, Alfie. I answered your question early on. You have to listen later on to see what I said. You know? I wonder how much power you can push out of a fit motor. It would be crazy to see anything over 500 out of those 1.5. So, we built two fits. I think it was in 2014 or 2013. 2014. We built two new fits. I did one 400 to the wheels, which is very close to, with a 15% drive turn loss, to be very close to 430, 440 crank. And that was just the first time I already been pushing it. And we did a mild one, which is an NA track build, and we did a crazy booster one. So, Yes, it's very possible. Um, we've done crazy things with 1.5 liters. I just didn't push that one more, but we could. By all means, we could do it, you know? My pleasure as well, Crazy Man. I appreciate the kind words. 
Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate the kind words. Hello, Alfie. I appreciate all the love. Um, what price to a 300 BHP daily driven Z6? It depends on components. I would say rough. Pistons, rods, valve train, camshafts, white intake manifold. Engine man we may have an engine management switching already. I would turbo, probably four to $5,000 on components. Four to $5,000 on components, we'll get you there. It's gonna be really nice. Hello! Oh, Focus ST, oh, you got me there, Dion. Um, I've never I've never played with a Focus ST. So here's who can help you. Our friends from Mountain, give them a call, maybe they know how to do it. If you said Integra or Civic or even a 911, I could tell you, but on a Focus ST, I have not played with the hood latch on that, I'm so sorry. Please call Mountain. I guarantee they can they can really point you in the right direction. Landshark, well, hey, what's more cost effective for an NAD15 or K24? Ooh, power to power, K24. Way more cost effective. The the initial expense of the engine may be more. Well, it depends. If you get a K24 Z7, those people are throwing those engines away, and it has good power potential. Much more for dollar. More proper dollar decay than it is on the screen. Deke said, Driving is, is life. They're missing you on the uh, 1320, those East Coast kids, October DRN. So, Dippin, I miss drag racing a lot, but I have so much activity, so many duties going on. I have five cars to build and two months to finish them. I cannot go racing. I can't go racing until November. I'm so sorry. So, I won't be able to make that event. Please forgive me. You know? What do I think of a D16 King Turbo, stock head? Build, Bonneman, I need to tune it. Twin turbo D16 Z6. I'm not very confident that the mass flow rate of exhaust gases from two ports on a D16 is good for an efficient twin turbo setup. Unless you have a T1 size turbo, something really small, something I've seen with drones. And it also adds complexity. I'm a huge advocate of making things really cool, but also efficiency is key. You may want to do something with a single turbo setup if possible, you know? You can, I can do. Thanks for joining me this afternoon, you know. Ah, so Daryl did S300. Very nice. Then I didn't go to you in good hands. Daryl is a good, that's a good guy. Great guy. Oh my God. So guys, it's an hour. An hour is already elapsed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sign off here. But I'm going to do a quick walk around on our live feed. So come on back in if you're here on Instagram. And we'll walk around McKenna and see what cool cars they have. But in the meantime, guys, thank you so much. Please provide me some feedback on Instagram on what you thought about this session today. I'm here to help by all means. So that being said, please stay tuned. Keep up the great work. Stay focused. And the best yet to come. Take care, guys. Cheers.